Today's reading will be from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 11 to 12 and 27 through 30. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and runs away. That's because he isn't the shepherd. The sheep aren't really his. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never die and no one will snatch them from my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from my father's hand. I and the father are one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. For your word, your actions, your involvement, your presence, we give you thanks. May we hear your voice in many different ways this morning while we worship you. Amen. The passage that you've just heard, selections from John 10, imagine them again. If you want to open up your pew Bibles or your Bibles at home, open up and read John 10 again. But this time, listen for the word, the voice of a child involved in the reading and the hearing of this story. Imagine a child, how they would interpret these caring words from a beloved parent grandparent, guardian, teacher, friend, how quickly would a child respond to the gracious love offered? A guardian saying, you know my voice, you trust my voice to love and care for you, don't you? How would a child respond? Yeah, and that's how we are to listen to John 10. Today is Shepherding Sunday. It's the same Sunday after Easter, year after year, when we've heard about the miracles, we've heard about the mission, we've seen the resurrection appearances, and now Scripture wants us to say, we would like to be your sheep, dear God, because we know the shepherd. So Shepherd Sunday comes along this time every year. It tells the story about God's amazing love through Jesus's metaphor of a shepherd with sheep. Because we all know sheep always tell the shepherd what to do, correct? <laughs> right. And that role reversal is supposed to be in our heads today. That love and protection and guidance, sometimes we forget because we, God's sheep, want to say, where are you, shepherd? You're not doing your job. Does a shepherd not do a shepherd's job? That is the good shepherd. Scholar Raymond Brown's study of the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John, called the Community of the Beloved Disciples, describes first century, the first century community as one that struggled with who they should call neighbor. That would be neighbor within the Christian community, but which Christian community? What type of 
practices does this one or that one or this one practice? Who's orthodox, who's, no, who's not? There was no orthodoxy in the first century, and especially in relationship with their heritage, with Judaism. Struggles within the sheep of God's own pasture? Yes, from the beginning, and it continues on now. The struggle of sheep relationships affected the whole Christian community then, in between, and today. I was intrigued by the cover of Brown's commentary, which has two eaglets coming at each other with talons, talons completely exposed, right at each other, ready for battle over that nest. That nest where they were reared as way little hatchlings, little eaglets, little tiny fuzzy-headed cute things that mom and dad eagles cared for. Here they were in this picture fighting over the very love of the parents that they both had completely trusted. This is our image of divine love. Would the eagles, mom and dad, guardian eagles, would they have abandoned their eaglets? No, but is it normal for siblings to kind of occasionally come at each other? Perhaps, uh, meaning yes. Now in John 10, this relationship of, of a loving, guiding shepherd and sheep, it's idyllic attachment, commitment, nurture, support. This is Jesus, head of the church, this is our image of our relationship with our God. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't just share this image so that we would be warned never to act like this. Jesus knew perfectly well we would. And it's not rejected, and nor should we reject one another when we find ourselves on different sides. God knows that we will and do behave like eaglets attacking one another as we learn and grow. But the goal is to cease the attack. Being assertive in the name of love divine is our calling. And sometimes we rub elbows in the process. But we should and cannot ever lose sight of divine love. Just as little eaglets, as they transform into juveniles and then as parents themselves never lose sight of their nurture from their parents. For years in Pittsburgh, I traveled specifically the long route to church in order to pass the eagle's nest, and I was able to watch, as I'm driving by very carefully, the eaglets, three sets of eaglets grow into those juveniles. I watched the parents hover over the eaglets as they were just tiny, and then move away as they grew, up, grew bigger and bigger, partly because the nest was full, but partly because the parent eaglets, eagles knew they needed to let these guys stretch their wings and learn to fly. Does God understand that we too need to stretch our wings and learn to fly with each other rather than against each other? Yes. Does God understand that we need to move in different paths? Yes, this is the love divine. We are not 
to forget. Being eaglets or lambs, occasionally we take it out on each other and then we can curb. Does God know we will do this? Yes. Does that interrupt God's divine love? No. What interrupts God's divine love is when we think God doesn't like what we are doing. Divine love. Let's listen to a couple of passages from scripture. Hosea, yet, this is a Godhead speaking, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I who took them up in my arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was with them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. Deuteronomy, like the eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, God spreads wings to catch you and carries you on pinion feathers. Again, Deuteronomy, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Isaiah, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Isaiah, again, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept myself still and restrained myself. Now I, God is speaking, will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. Again, Isaiah, but, I, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. God replies, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Oh goodness, I could keep going. Let's go to Luke 15. Or, Jesus says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. Jesus' imagery of God and us. Love divine is directed to the lovable, of course, but here's the important thing, to the unlovable as well. Jesus' command is to love not just when it is convenient or when that love will be returned. Love divine is the source of our ability to love when we, you, I, do not want to. Equally, love divine is the source of our ability to receive love when we do not think we are lovable. Jesus thinks you are worthy of divine love and empowers you to love in brand new ways. Like 
loving your enemy, an enemy being somebody you don't want to talk to. Because of course, we would never have enemies. Love divine is like giving up your coat, finding a lost sheep, welcoming the prodigal home, not being smug like the smug, taking up a cross, which means so many different things, losing your time to be God's divine love to a stranger and receiving God's divine love from a stranger. Know this, that divine love is coursing through your veins, giving you strength to think about and speak up for other sheep whom Jesus loves, but society may know. Soren Kierkegaard, who I quote very cautiously because I understand only a little of what he wrote, is quoted in the Plow, the Plow publication in one of, his one of the articles, followers, not admirers. Kierkegaard writes, it is well known that Christ consistently used the expression follower. He never asks for admirers, worshipers, or adherents. No, Jesus calls disciples. It is not adherents of a teaching, but followers of a life Christ is looking for. Followers of his life that Christ is looking for. What then is the difference between an admirer and a follower, he writes. A follower is or strives to be what they admire. An admirer, however, keeps themselves personally detached, looking on. They fail to see that what is admired involves a claim upon themselves to follow, and thus they fail to be or strive to be what they admire. Admiring divine love versus following divine love. Most of us dance in between, forgetting, whoops, I'm just admiring, uh-oh, I better follow. Letting who and what God was and is determine our next steps. You'll remember last, last week's reading and lesson from, from Joey Lee, our presbyter, talking about Saul of Tarsus, who met the risen Jesus along the road to Damascus. He was definitely not a follower, nor was he an admirer. But the next chapter in the book of Acts, in chapter 10, Peter, the fisherman whom we all know, was in Joppa, a sunny day, and he's dozing on the warm rooftop in the sun, waiting for lunch, when he has a vision, a dream, a communication from God, which completely upends his understanding of right and wrong. Peter, faithful fisherman, faithful to his community, was taught a certain way to eat. And he would only follow these rules. That was faithfulness. And then the voice of God that we have been encouraged to listen for today, the voice of God in, midst, in the midst of this dream where 
a sheet comes out of the heavens full of all of these foods that are repugnant to Peter's heritage and himself and his practices. And the voice of God specifically repeats, says to Peter, eat, partake, lunch is served. Peter's response is absolutely not. My parents raised me better than this. I do not eat that kind of food. God responds not to the details of why this vision is being given to Peter, why change might be afoot, but God simply says poignantly to Peter, if I, the creator of the universe, say this is clean, it is clean. Well, that scenario had to repeat itself three times before Peter woke up from the dream thinking, oh wow, I've learned something new, I sure hope I don't have to put it into practice. Admiration of God versus following God. You know the story, there's a knock on the door and there at Peter's door is not just a Roman, a centurion, but worst of all, a Gentile. Peter, God has sent me here, would you please come to my house to eat my food? my way, my table. And Peter had to put into practice following love divine in a brand new way. I shudder because I'm not quite sure God could get through to me that quickly. Only three times? I might have needed 30. But Peter goes. And then at the end of, of this little scenario in Acts 10, 28, Peter says the most incredible thing. Now I have learned that God shows no partiality. I love what Eugene Peterson writes in his version, the message. Now I know that there is no difference between the races. Did Peter follow this through? No, but you know, he's a sheep like we do. We are. He had to relearn this when Saul, who turned to Paul, challenged him. That's another story. I'm going to bring the story of following the shepherd to a close with one more thought. In brief, I will use the word Lord in liturgy. I will use the word Lord intentionally because our human understanding of the abuses, the, the dictatorial behavior, the, the uh, I'm using the word inside, the, I'm just gonna stay with abuses, how this word has been misrepresented in our human history is not how Jesus meant it. He meant to flip this word right over. You will not lord it over each other. You call me Lord, this is who I am, this is how I behave, and then he washed the disciples' feet. That is our Lord, not the human conception, the divine conception of love divine. Unbounded love that we exemplify, not just admire. Following and trusting divine love through the ministry of your lives, this we do because we believe in the presence among us of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God's Holy Spirit through us. 
Amen.